This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. So I'm, I'm sharing with you today, we're starting a new series uh, called Sabbath, okay? Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Now, depending on how you're brought up, you might have an immediate like mental picture or mental definition or whatever that that, that word brings you back to. When I was growing up, Sabbath wasn't like a regular word for us because nobody in my family went to church. We hardly ever talked about church. Uh, all those kind of things were foreign to us. And so the only time I ever heard the word Sabbath was when I started getting into junior high, high school, and I had friends who were like Seventh-day Adventists. Um, because they hold, you know, they're like strict about Sabbath. And then I had some friends who were uh, Messianic Jews, which is uh, um, a Jew who believes Jesus is Messiah. And so they uh, held really, really tight to the Sabbath as well. And so the only context that I had for Sabbath growing up was uh, that was the day that my friends couldn't have fun on. So I'd be like, hey, you want to go play football? And they'd be like, no, man, I can't. It's Sabbath, right? Okay, great, cool. That sounds lame, right? Sabbath... Sabbath Sabbath sounded like something that was like time out. It sounded like you had all this other stuff you wanted to do, but Sabbath was the day that you got put in the corner and you just couldn't. It was just the day that God said you're in time out, right? That's that's kind of the the feeling that, that I got listening to my friends or people I knew talk about Sabbath or refer to Sabbath or practice Sabbath, but Sabbath actually isn't that at all. I'll give you the definition for Sabbath, but then... Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means for us and how practical it's supposed to be for us. And so a Sabbath, by definition, is a day of religious observance and abstinence from work. You, you don't work, right? So like a forced day off, kind of. Um, it's kept by the Jews from Friday evening to Saturday evening and by most Christians on Sundays. Friday evening to Saturday evening, fun fact for you, uh, uh, Jews practice days different than we do. We, we, we go to sleep at the end of our day, right? And then we wake up when the sun's up, and then we work and go to sleep. But uh, they don't do that uh, in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, a day starts at sundown of whatever day you're on. So like today, when the sun goes down, technically it'd be Monday, for, you know, if we were practicing uh, Judaism, right? And so that's why in Scripture, when it talks about creation, it says it was evening, it was morning, second day. It was evening, it was morning, third day. Because when the evening came, uh, Jews started off their day with rest. And that rest prepared them for work, right? So there was this natural rhythm to how their days went. Evening, morning, that's a day. Evening, morning, that's another day. And there's this rhythm and this ebb and flow to how their work day went. Sabbath isn't something just meant for super religious people. And it's not something that's only meant for certain uh, uh, parts of Christianity or parts of orthodoxy or uh, parts of Judaism or fill in the blank. It's not only something that's supposed to be observed to that. Sabbath, and we'll talk about more what that is, is something that God intended to be a part of everybody's life. We're actually hardwired from like our creation. We're hardwired to have this rhythm to how we operate. Um, I was thinking about this as I was preparing and I thought of uh, um, growing up, anytime I, I used like a tool that belonged to my dad or uh, this one time in particular, I was building a skate ramp with my older brother and we had like one of those, what kind of saws, a jigsaw or whatever where the blade goes like this. And um, 
you can tell I do, I build things. And so um, it goes like this, and I was like, right, like, <laughs> again, I build things, and I was pushing the tool to its threshold. I'm trying to get it to cut too much too quick, and I'm forcing it to cut through the wood too quickly, and, and pretty soon, uh, it shorted out, sparks started coming out of it, we're like, ah, right, me and my brother, that's how we screamed, ah, and we, um, and I was like 14, and uh, we unplugged it from the wall, and my dad, my dad found out, he was furious, and he's like, you can't do that, if you, if you overwork the tool like that, it's gonna burn out, it, you gotta treat these things the right way in order to get the longest lifespan out of them, and, and if that makes sense, if that analogy makes sense to you, that is how God created you and I to function. You and I are created with this rhythm to how we're supposed to work and rest and work and rest, and if we try to uh, bypass that too quickly, too much too quickly all the time, then we're going to short out, and we're going to cost ourselves longevity on the back end, productivity on the back end, and so sadly enough, even though Sabbath isn't something that's only for religious sects and um, sects, not, okay, <laughs> uh, religious sections, uh, okay, whatever, practices, um, it's not only for that, it's not only for, we live in a culture where it's not even relevant to rest. You and I live in a day and age where the context we live in, the way that we work, the expectations for work, the demand of work, the demand of prosperity, having more, doing more, building a family, having a home, paying bills, progressing socially, professionally, uh, all those things, those demands are way higher than the demand of rest for you and I, right? We live in a culture where we coin these phrases. I, I, I quoted one of my favorite theologians ever. His name's Nas. He's, an, he's a hip-hop artist. The real ones now. And Nas says this. He goes, he said, I don't sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. New York state of mind. I'm in the New York state of mind. I don't sleep. Sleep is the cousin of death. Uh, rock singer, if you're on the other side, you don't like hip-hop, whatever. You're missing out. Rock singer Warren Zevin coined this phrase. You guys have surely heard this phrase. He said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I think he copied Nas. I'll sleep when I'm dead. You guys have heard these, right? We pride ourselves on being able to bypass the need for rest the need for rejuvenation, the need for re-energizing, and we're just like, okay, well, while you're sleeping, I'm going to work. While they're out there, you know, taking it easy and relaxing, you all got your feet up, I'm out here grinding. I'm out here hustling. I got to get my money. I got to, right? I, I, hear, I hear this mindset a lot too. I'm going to work really hard right now so in 10 years, 15 years, I can retire early and put my feet up and rest and I can enjoy my things and I can, I don't know why I'm doing this. Now I'm in a hip-hop video, right? And, uh, I, I'm going to do all this right now. I'm going to bypass all the rest and all that stuff that I need because if I work really hard right now, then in the end, it'll pay off for me. And we live in this kind of culture where that's what we do. We actually take pride in the fact that while other people need to relax, we don't, we don't need that. That's weak. That's, that's, that's the old, like when I was younger, I may need it, but now I got like this work ethic where I just, I got it. I got it, I got it right? There's, there's a... I'm giving you guys street, just street lessons all day. Write this one down. All right, there's a, there's a phrase uh, that, the, that the cool kids say. It's called secure the bag. 
Secure the bag, the money bag. You secure the right. If you're out grinding, you're working hard, whatever, and people are like, yo, why don't you rest? Why don't you whatever? No, nah, man, I gotta secure the bag right now. I gotta get my money right. I gotta get my life right. I gotta do all these things. I gotta get all this stuff right before I can back off. I gotta do it now. Problem is, if you do that, you're gonna be like that saw that I was using, and you're gonna short out. Maybe for you it's not work. Maybe for you it's not a career. Maybe for you it's easy for you to leave the workplace and shut off. That's how I am. I, I never used to buy into this until I heard Carmen and Amber and other people just pumping this. But I'm, I'm an Enneagram 8. You guys follow the Enneagram stuff? It's <laughs> yeah. Okay. There, <laughs> there's some areas where it's not accurate and there's some areas where it's like, whoa. Right? Like fortune teller stuff. And um, so I guess what that means for me is I'm very easy to just like... Uh, just cut things off and not care about the repercussions of it, right? And so I'll, it, it's easy for me to be like, oh, you have an idea? That's a dumb idea. Get over it, right? Like, that's my personality. And so I have that personality when, when it comes to, like, work stuff. I'm like, you know, Carmen will be, will be in the car driving. And she'll be like, oh, my gosh, we got to do this and we got to do that. And I'll be like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, we just left. You just, you just did that for eight hours. Now, like, let's talk about something else. You know, like, now, you don't have to talk about the, You're not on the, you're not, do, you know, like, it's easy for me to not feel bad about just forgetting everything else when it's time to forget everything else. Maybe you're like that. Maybe it's easy for you to unplug from work. But here's the problem. Again, the day and age we live in, you might unplug from work, but there's a very high chance you're not really unplugging. Check, check this out. I did some research. It says studies show that there's been a rise, 60% rise the past 10 years, 60%, whoa, in anxiety, depression, restlessness, and suicidal thoughts. In the past 10 years, this has is, this is drastically risen for teens and young adults, young marrieds, young families. Doctors and professors attribute this increase, and I quote, to social media, texting, and gaming. They all stated that smartphones, if there was one deciding factor, smartphones were the deciding factor that caused the shift in mental health from older generations to younger generations. Here's what that means. Now your kids, you take them to the store, my kids don't have to sit in the shopping cart and talk to me about what they see. Now their shopping carts have tablets built into them where all they have to do is look at the screen and touch buttons on the screen and never have to interact, never have to pause, never have to take a break. They can literally go from the TV at home to the TV in the car to the TV in the shopping cart, back to the TV at home, and it's seamless. We had a, we had a couple come over our house the other day, and um, Olivia's outside playing, and they're all sitting on the couch. Uh, we're all sitting on the couch talking. They just had a baby that's like two days older than Diego, and we're sitting there talking, and Olivia comes bursting through the door. <sighs> Look like a Sunny D commercial. Mom, Dad, all my friends want popsicles. I was like, it's like halfway through October, we don't got popsicles. Oh, can we make some popsicles? <laughs> no, we're not making popsicles. What are you talking about? Like she wanted to bring out the ice tray with the orange juice and the toothpicks. And no. I was like, I got I got some I got some orange filled Oreo, you know, the Halloween Oreos. Come on, that's it. Take the Oreos. That's, that's love from me because I don't share Oreos. And so, and my friend looks at me and goes, oh, my gosh, this is weird. I said, what? And he goes, I literally can't believe kids still play with each other anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, there, there was like six kids. It's, he was like, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that there's this many kids playing with each other at the same time. There's no screen involved at all. 
You want to know why that is? That's because the new norm for us is to be connected to something. I'll watch football while tweeting about football. I'll watch a million little things, crying, texting my mom. Like, I'll watch something on the show and remind me about how, how, how bitter I am about something. Like, mom, how come you didn't hug me? Or like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, we're tied to more screens than ever. So you don't got to just be tied to work. Maybe you're tied to social media. Maybe you're tied to binge-watching Netflix. Maybe between politics, social media, social life, streaming devices, work, family life. All these things, there are so many distractions that it's hardly ever possible for you and I to rest or Sabbath or Sabbath. Uh, Corey Tim uh, Boom said this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you, he'll just distract you. If, if he can't get to your private personal life, then he'll just distract you from having a God life. There's no shortage of distractions that will tug and tear and pull and exhaust our minds, bodies, and ultimately our souls. So today, here's what we're talking about. What can we do to remedy this? What can we do to restore that rhythm that God created us in? The answer is that word, Sabbath. Sabbath, rest. When we talk about rest... I'm not talking about, like we said, I'm not talking about sitting down and, and watching an entire season of Law and & Order. When you get up from that, you, you feel like you're on Law & Order. Like, I'd be scared to get in my car because it's a crime scene. Like, you, you, the, there, there are certain things that you do. You're checking the rearview mirror, right? I, I really do it. So there are certain things that we do that we might tell ourselves is really rest, but there's a difference between just taking it easy and actually Sabbath and, and actually having or partaking in Sabbath. Let me, let me start you off here. Here's what Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says. And, and if, if you've read the creation account, you might read it and breeze right by it, but, but it's built into even the creation of the world. Check this out. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says this. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. And on the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day. From all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For then he rested from the work of all of his creation. His work was done, he rested. His work was done, he rested. It repeats it over and over. God himself, let me give you a little tidbit. When God, Jesus, in scripture models something for you, it's because he wants us to imitate it. In, in Jewish culture, when you have a rabbi, a teacher... You don't learn from them by asking questions and taking pop quizzes. You learn from a rabbi by imitating their life. You get so close to them that you watch how they interact with people. You watch how they answer questions. You watch how they uh, handle different scenarios. You watch how they have, a, have, a, have confrontation and how they troubleshoot the confrontation. And you learn that. And by imitating what your rabbi or teacher does, that's what makes you a disciple of a certain person. So when Jesus says, uh, calls us his disciples, that means he intends for us to not just memorize what, what this stuff says or not just meet here and sing songs or not just meet here and, and have this be the, 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 the breath of our spiritual existence. Jesus means for us to imitate what we see him exemplify first. And all the way back to creation, God starts exemplifying this rhythm of work and rest, and work, and rest. There's a rhythm to it. 
Have you guys ever seen a musical staff, like on paper? I don't mean like people that work at a music store, like a musical staff. I mean like a musical staff, like a measure. Charlene's like, duh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> flex. I play piano. So. so if you've seen it, it's like bars, right? And then there's a time signature, and then you have notes, right? And, and if you play, and anybody that plays sheet music or has seen sheet music, you know that there's, there's a, a symbol for a rest. There's different symbols for different rests, and there's different lengths and measurements of rests on a music staff, right? So if you're playing music, it could be like, bum, 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 rest. Uh, bum, 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 bum. And if you're reading the sheet music, you're going to see that there's a rest there, so you're supposed to pause. And even though when you're listening... You don't hear the note being played, but the note, check this out, still has its own count, and it contributes to the overall rhythm and feel of the entire piece. And that's how God wants the rhythm of our life to be with a rest. You're working and working and working and producing, and then you rest. Work, 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 rest. Work, 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 work. Rest, right? There's a rhythm to this, and so God intends for us to follow this rhythm. This is the rhythm that, check this out, preserves your souls, preserves. God, God is in this thing because he cares about the health of your mind and your soul, the well-being and longevity of your productivity, not just the immediacy of it. He doesn't want you to just, boom, shoot out the gate, be productive, and then crash later. Five-hour energy. He don't, want, he don't want the crash. He wants you to have a consistent workflow and rhythm to how you live and do so that way you're preserved and you can continue being productive longer. God's in this for the long game. Here's what the rhythm is. It's written flat out in Scripture. Exodus 20, verses 9 through 10. Here's the rhythm. You are to labor, labor six days, do all of your work, but then the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. Not like, we come in peace. <laughs> Ooh, the claw. Not like that alien, like foreigner, some, somebody who's not even accustomed to the. So everybody that you know on a Sabbath, don't expect things out of people when you're supposed to be resting. Don't. Don't try to read into things more than you should when you should be resting. Here's, here's your work. You work for six days, you rest for one. So some of you guys are like, I can't, I don't work Monday through Friday and then do stuff on Saturday and then rest on Sunday. Maybe your day off is Monday. Maybe you work through the week. doesn't matter. Scripture says that Sabbath is not, we're not made for Sabbath. Sabbath is made for us. That means that we don't have to do it on a particular day to be legalistic. We do it when it's most, most advantageous to our soul. So maybe your day off is Monday, that's when you Sabbath. Maybe your day off is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's when you Sabbath. But the, the workflow is still the same. God wants you to work and rest because that rest day prepares you for the next segment of work. Amen? So that's the point of Sabbath. For, the next, for this week and next week, we're talking about the kinds of Sabbath, the, the things that are crucial to actually rejuvenating and rebuilding your soul. It's super practical. So what can you do to Sabbath and Sabbath well? 
What can you do to not just sit on the couch like a bump on the log and be like, well, I can't do anything today? No, remember, that's, that's the legalistic type of Sabbath we talked about. A Sabbath should be, and here's what we're talking about this week, a celebration. If I could throw another word in there, I'd say rejuvenation. On, on, on Sabbath, you should be making time and carving out time to celebrate what God is doing in your life. Speaking of babies, we, um, some of you guys may not know this, we've been trying and praying and trying and praying and trying and praying to have a baby for, for on and off three or four years. And if you've ever tried to have kids to no avail, then you know the heartbreak that ensues in that. You start wondering if there's something wrong with you, if there's something wrong with your spouse, if there's anything you can do, if there's, you, there's, it's heartbreaking. It's discouraging. You're praying and you're not seeing anything and you're praying and you're not, and it, and it challenges you. So we had tried for literally years to have a baby that would soon be Diego. And um, I remember when we found out Carmen was pregnant. And when we found out Carmen was pregnant, it was unintentional, but, but I see how this pattern is modeled in, in life, in reality, and, and why this is so important to celebrate. When we found out Carmen was pregnant with Diego, it was like this, this overwhelming feeling of like, oh my gosh, this is, re- this is really happening. This is really, ha- this is what, I can't believe this. This is, when the doctor put Diego in my hands for the first time, I literally looked at Carmen it was funny. If you go back and look at pictures when Carmen's, like, you know, on the table or whatever, um, the entire time, they're, like, stitching and doing all the little medical stuff, and she's like this. <laughs> she was so out of this, hilarious. The, <laughs> the doctor was, like, she's looking at the anesthesiologist, and the anesthesiologist is, like, having a bad day, and she's like, and Carmen's like, do you like your job? <laughs> the lady was like, it's all right. She's like, I bet it's cool to see all these babies. And the lady's like, yeah, that's nice. Carmen, Carmen goes, they have the sheet up. And she's like, what's going on down there? <laughs> and the lady, like, peeks over, and she's like, well, they're, they're cutting open your stomach. Carmen's like, oh, wow, still? And she goes, <laughs> the lady goes, yeah, there's, like, layers to it. They have to, like, do it. So, and Carmen goes, I'm not, <laughs> not joking. She goes, ooh, layers, like a cake. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, I like cake. <laughs> and she goes, and then she goes, yum. I could, I could really eat some cake right now. <laughs> and, and she's not even realizing how out of it she is. And I'm dying laughing. I'm holding her hand, but I'm trying to turn this way. Because I didn't want to laugh and then get her laughing. And, you know, her whole body's moving because she's laughing. And they're over here trying to do it. So I was, like, dying laughing, trying not to, like, you know, cause a problem in the operation. And as soon as the doctor put Diego in my hands, it was like, I didn't even know, I was shell-shocked. I was like, I can't believe this. This is, this is literally prayer made physical. Like, this is a physical representation of prayers that we've been praying for years, that we didn't know if they were going to come true or not. And, and for, for months leading up to, like, the last few months before Diego got here, we started doing things to celebrate Diego getting here before he even got here. We'd go out to family dinners, and we'd talk to Olivia about what her favorite part about being the only child was, and then what she's looking forward to about being a big sister now. We, uh, we, went, to, uh, we went on vacation for a few days in Traverse City, and while we're there, we're talking to Olivia about, about oh, my gosh, it's all next year. You're going to have your little brother here to, to, to go in the pool with, and you're going to have this. And we're celebrating before Diego even got here. 
And when Diego arrived, it was just this overwhelming, like, thankfulness. And, like, pray, and it's crazy how, how it just came out of the whole situation. We talked to people that didn't even know we'd been praying for years. And they would, they would go, man, th- this is great. We'd let them hold Diego, and they'd go, this is crazy. This is what answered prayer looks like. And they didn't even know the half of the prayers that we were praying. And, and I'll tell you this. What I'm getting at is this. Having a, a, a heart geared towards celebration on what God is doing opens you up. It's like, it's like smelling salt for your spiritual senses, and it awakens you to what God is doing. And then it prepares you going forward for what God is going to continue to do. Now that Diego's here, I'm like, like, like I just lay up at night, and I'm like, God, I can't, I can't, like, your faithfulness, your, your goodness, your, your, your plan, how it all worked, it, it, having, it could have been very easily like this. Dude, we waited for four years to have a freaking baby, God. Why didn't, why didn't you take, why, like, why wasn't this quicker? Like, you know how long we've been trying and praying and what took so, that's, that's when you let that bitterness set in. Celebration circumvents that bitterness. And so for Sabbath, for you to gear yourself, to, to continue to be productive for what God's doing in your future, it is crucial that when you Sabbath and you rest and you rejuvenate, you have a a posture of celebration for what God is doing in your life and in the lives of people around you. So I'm going to give you four things that I think are important for you in in, in a mindset and a posture of celebration for when you Sabbath. The first thing I'm going to say is worship. Some of us, our only time that we worship or we venture into that time with God is right now. And when we leave, the next time we'll pray or the next time we'll worship or the next time we'll see scripture is next week on Sunday again. And that's not how it's supposed to be. When you, you should be regularly having a time of devotion with the Lord and scripture reading and all that with the Lord and prayer and, and all that with the Lord. But on Sabbath, that's the time that you, you pray and you get alone with God and you celebrate God. This is what I'm seeing you do. This is what I, I've seen you do this past six days at work. This is that, that, that employee I've been, I, I've been praying for that's just getting on my nerves, but we had a breakthrough. This is, these are those times that you pay attention to what God's been doing the other six days. You get along with God, you worship, and you have personal time. Here's my notes on that. No distractions. No excuses. Be intentional about spending alone time with God. Alone time includes this. You're not alone just because your kids aren't with you. If you're praying and you're like, oh, wait, I forgot to text so You're not alone. Put your phone down somewhere far from you that it's not going to be tempting to look at. Get alone. No distractions. No excuses. Make God time a priority when you Sabbath. And when you do it, with, when you celebrate or when you get that worship time with God, celebrate. Be thankful. Be hopeful about what hasn't happened yet or come to pass yet. Celebrate through worship. The second thing I'll say, and this is kind of a bullet point to worship, is church. How many times do we talk about church like it's this big to-do? I got like four kids. I got to get all my kids here. I got to get my kids dressed. Y'all only got donuts. We don't need no donuts. And I got to stop at Kroger and get them these Nature Valley granola bars. They got these new ones, though. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) okay, okay. If you want to know what they are, talk to me later. I'll tell you. Okay. They're fire. They're fire. Me and Olivia, child, down. they're not healthy anymore when you consume too much, but whatever. It's a different message. So 
we got to get everybody dressed. We got to get everybody here. Then I got to go through the parking lot. And the parking lot greeters aren't telling me to park where I, want, where I really want to park at. And then I come in and, and people aren't greeting me how I want to be greeted. And this isn't the coffee I want. And the coffee's cold. And this and that. And we make church this big to-do so much. To, they played this song and I don't like that song. And that song's slow. And I don't like singing slow because then people can hear me. Or the person next to me sing too dang louder. We make church this big to-do. But it's not supposed to be that. I, I had this quote I wanted to share with you. Here's, here's what a Jewish teacher Aaron Eby says about Sabbath. He says, the, the seventh day each week is supposed to be set aside to be a sanctuary in time. Sanctuary in time. If you uh, had gone to church long enough, then you would know that the room that we're sitting in, if you were raised in church or, you know, traditional practices of church, the room that we're sitting in right now, many people would call a sanctuary. Right, that's where you have worship service. It's a sanctuary. Right? Um, Jewish practice sees Sabbath as a spiritual sanctuary in time. It's not a physical place that you go to to worship. It's a time, literally a refuge in time that's carved out that you go into and you seek refuge and rest in time. So when we come to church, now church isn't, isn't just the spiritual representation of that sanctuary. Now you're literally in the physical one. And when we get here, sometimes we're too distracted, too caught off, too stressed out, too tired. Too, we, we spent an hour and a half getting everybody here. Now we're in church. We're just trying to rest before we got to take an hour and a half to get them fed and get them back home, right? Like, but church, we have to gear ourselves in a way where we're doing like what scripture says. Scripture says, come into, come into his presence with praise and thanksgiving. And you posture your heart before you get here, to encounter God when you get here, so that when you're here, this is rejuvenating, this is re-energizing, this is recentering, this is filling you with hope and energy to go forward into your work week. Amen? So church, if church feels like it to do for you, then to don't and just come chill. Where's Tony? I can always tell where Tony is. Thank you, sir. Family. Family. Maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. Maybe you're married, maybe you're not. Family, loved ones, close friends, uh, your, your circle of influence. Spend time with them and celebrate them. There's a thought. Don't celebrate what you get from them. A lot of times we treat people differently because of what they offer us or how they make us feel. Celebrate them. Celebrate what God's doing in them. Maybe they got a promotion. Maybe they're having a kid. Maybe they're moving. Maybe something great is happening with them. Celebrate with them. Celebrate the fact that they're in your life. Spend time with family. Focus on the family. It's like a radio show. My family don't live here, so I have to be intentional to send my family pictures of the kids and text them encouraging things and tell them I'm thinking about them and praying for them. When you Sabbath and you're getting everything refocused, celebrate your family. Celebrate with your family. Go out to dinner, laugh, joke, have fun. I go on Google sometimes when I'm out with Olivia and I Google um, best questions to ask a six-year-old. And I'll literally just look down at the list every, every 10 minutes and be like, okay, so hey, let me ask you this question. And it'll, it'll turn into a huge conversation and she's talking crazy and being silly and we're laughing and we're, we're celebrate that, man. Celebrate that. Make moments out of these things. Celebrate your family. My last thing, and it's, it's kind of a duh, but I'll say this. When you celebrate, when you're having Sabbath and you're focusing on celebrating, spend some time 
recharging, giving special attention to an activity that makes you feel rejuvenated. Not just binge watching a show. You don't get up after eight and a half hours on the couch and two packs of double stuffed Oreos and feel like you're going to tackle the world. You feel like you got tackled, right? Do something that makes you feel rejuvenated. Here's, here's a hint. If you work with your hands all week, maybe do something to stimulate your mind. If you work with your mind all week, do something to get physical, right? These are good ways to cut loose and to fill in gaps of things that you don't get to do regularly, right? Take time in an activity that makes you feel refreshed and renewed. Author and theologian Eugene Peterson, you might know him, he uh, wrote the translation called The Message. Eugene Peterson said this about the Sabbath. Every Sabbath should include praying and playing. Puritans, you guys know who the Puritans are in history? Super legalistic Christians, right? They were like witch hunters and, you know, like Van Helsing. Okay. Super legalistic. Uh, you know, they were torching people and burning people at the stake because everybody was a witch if they didn't believe what they believed. Puritans had a Sabbath that eliminated praying or playing, and those Sabbaths were a disaster. They had Sabbath that was super, super legalistic, and it had to only be driven spiritually. And Eugene Peterson says Sabbath that excludes playing was a disaster. But then you have secular Sabbaths where people are like, treat yourself, <laughs> right? Like, and everybody's like, we just going to go get facials and get our nails done. We're going to go shopping and charge the credit card, and I'm going to treat myself. It's whatever. Today you already know. Those are, Eugene Peterson says, Sabbath that eliminates prayer is even worse. Sabbath keeping involves both praying and playing. He says the activities are alike enough to where they share the same day, Sabbath, but they're different enough to require each other for a complementary wholeness in your life. So if you're doing too much focus over here, you're unbalanced. If you're doing too much focus over here, you're unbalanced. Eugene Peterson says you need both of these complementary, playing and praying, complementary to, to contribute to health and wholeness of your life. That is the rhythm that we're talking about God wants you to be in for Sabbath. This is why Sabbath is important. Jewish rabbi Reb Zelman says this. He said you should enter into every Sabbath thinking this. You wake up, this is my day rejuvenated. He said, this is what you tell yourself. Today, I'm going to pamper my soul. It's Sabbath. You got one job today to pamper your soul. Take today to celebrate what God is doing. Take this day to celebrate the people that are in your life. Take today to partake in an activity that makes you feel recharged and hopeful and energetic and positive about going into the next set of Six days that you got to work, take, the, take those, to, and, but today, through all the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pamper my soul. Notice he says soul. I'm not going to pamper my, I'm not going to go to Old Navy and spend my double bucks. I get $50 off if I spend over $100. Thank you, God, Sabbath. No. I'm going to pamper my soul. I'm going to do something that, that builds up the inside, my spirit. That just makes me feel good when I look in the mirror. I'm going to pamper my soul today. We need this. We need this because going back to the illustration before, we, we get into this mindset and this culture and this context. It makes us feel guilty if we ever have to slow down. It makes us feel bad if we ever got to take a break. There's been times literally that Carmen and I 
We'll be like, man, we're just so tired, but we'll have to pep talk each other to take a break. Yeah, but I got to get this one. There's, I can't just, I can't, we can't go do that today because I just, I got so much to get done. I got and we'll literally have to remind ourselves if you, there's a spiritual, or there's a, there's a spiritual law at work here. I heard a pastor say this, and you may or may not agree with this, but there's a spiritual law at work here, and it, and it says this, whatever you don't offer up to God on the front end, you lose on the back end, right? So they, they talk about even tithe like this. If you don't offer it to God up front, you might have to, have, you might have to buy a new part for your car later. You might have to repair the house later. You might have to, right? And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying any Miss Cleo weird gypsy stuff here. All I'm saying is there is a principle that if you don't give it, you forfeit it, right? Scripture even says this, right? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, but whoever gives it will gain it, right? There's a spiritual law here of submission and obedience to better yourself on the back end, and it's the same thing. Uh, uh, This pastor said that whatever we don't give to God in Sabbath, that time to recharge our soul, that's when you get ill on the back end. We hear people that just work themselves, work themselves, work themselves, and then they're having heart attacks and strokes and anxiety attacks and suicide Suicidal thoughts are higher and suicidal attempts are higher. And these things do go hand in hand. Whatever we don't give up willingly on the front, we lose on the back. So this is why it's so important. Whatever you're going to do, here's what this should look like. Here's how practical this should be, and then we're done. Your homework for today, when you get in the car and you leave here, before you get home or get to the, the cider mill or get wherever you're going, have a conversation with whoever's in your car, whoever you live with, whoever you do life with, your partner, your spouse, your family, or whatever it is, and think about it. Really troubleshoot it. Walk through this. Maybe, maybe I'm off on Friday, but you're not. You're off on Saturday, but maybe we can swing it to where we both can get off all day Sunday. And, or maybe we can both swing it to where we both get off on Monday. Or maybe I work Monday through Friday, and then Saturday is going to be Or Sunday is going to be my day after church that I mow the lawn and hang the shelves and do the laundry and all that. So that way Saturday is a clear day that I don't have to worry about that where I can Sabbath. But whatever it is, be intentional, find time, make time to do it. Here's what scripture says. And here's why it's so important. Hebrews 4, 10, and 11 says this. 4, 10 through 11 says this. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works. Check this out. Just as God did from his. Remember we talked about whatever the teacher models we mimic. Just as God rested, you rest. You guys ever, you guys ever watch comedy, stand-up comedy? And sometimes you'll see, nobody? You guys ever watch stand-up comedy? Yeah. Thank you, thank you. I, I like, okay, thank you. I'm Puerto Rican, we like to talky-talky, okay? And talk back. So stand-up comedy, a lot of times the comedian will get on stage and he'll lead off with a joke, then he'll do the whole show, and at the end, he'll finish the set with a punchline to, this, to, to the joke he started off the set with. You guys have seen this? That's called a callback in comedy. That, that joke is called a callback. He finishes with a punchline that is attached to the first joke. It ties the whole show together. It's pretty good, right? The callback here is this. This is what, this is what the writers of the Bible are doing. They're saying God... With Sabbath, 
set up the punchline in the beginning in Genesis when he created and then he rested. And he worked, 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 rested, work, rest, work, rest, work, rest. God set it up, and now they're all coming to finish the punchline. Hey, remember, remember how you, you might think, you might try to explain away the rest that you need. No, I'm not tired. I don't need that. No, it's, it's different for me. You don't understand. I got so much going on right now. I just, I got this to do and that to do and this bill to pay and that bill to pay. And my kids got this sport, that sport, this thing at school. And, and you don't understand my schedule. That sounds great. I can't do it. Here's what the writers of the Bible are doing. Hold on. Don't play yourself. God, that made everything, found time to take a rest. You can take a rest. That's why they start this off the way they started off. Hey, um, the person who rests from his works uh, is resting just as God did. So, so you might think you're, you got too much important stuff going on. Listen, God took a rest. You might think that you don't need it. God took a rest. They're tying this all together. They're saying if God did it, you mimic it. You don't have anything that's too far, too far beyond, that's so critical. And I mean, if it's, those things come up, handle it on a regular basis. We don't have anything that's so taxing to where we can't make time to rest our souls. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest. Here's why it's important. Rich, why is it so important that I take a break? Here's why it's important. Let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Some translations say so that they don't fall into a pattern of temptation. Here's the idea. If you don't find rest where you need it, or if you don't find rest where, where it's offered, you're going to take it anywhere. If you don't get it from God, you're going to find it somewhere else later on. If you don't get it where you're supposed to, you're going to end up finding it where you shouldn't. This is why people develop vices and bad habits and start hanging out with the wrong group of people and start watching things they shouldn't watch and start getting negative mindsets that they never had or negative attitude towards God that they never possessed because when you don't find rest, when your soul is telling you you need rest, your soul will make you take a rest and when it's time to, it won't be good and it won't contribute to productivity. It's that, it's that spiritual law again. Take rest where you should or you're gonna find it where you shouldn't. That's what this is saying. Pastor Levi Lesko says this, he says, every day that you refuse to enter to that rest that God gives you is a day that you got a gift that you left unopened. That's like Christmas day, you got four presents wrapped up under the tree. There's three little boxes, one big box. You open up the three little, you shred those three little boxes. You got underwear, you got a wool, uh, a wool sweater, you got socks. But the last one looks dope, that's a big box. And you're like, yeah. I'll leave that till next time. That's dumb. If somebody gives you a gift, you go open it. Every, every, every time that you should be taking a rest, that, that you bypass, that's a gift from God that you left unopened. Think about that. Some people point to the fact that Jesus did the majority, check this out, the majority of his miracles on Sabbath. And the Pharisees were like, bro, what are you doing? It's Sabbath, you can't be doing that. So when you refuse the Sabbath, this might be a stress for some of you, but if Jesus does even works some of his best things on Sabbath, what are, what are things that you're missing because you're refusing to take a break? What miracle is God ready to do? What is God ready to show you that you're missing out on because you're refusing to rest? Here's what I leave you with. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. When we talk about rest, we talk about Jesus. When you talk about rest, you talk about Jesus. So ultimately, even when you Sabbath, that's a means to the end of the cross. That's a means to the end of Jesus. That's you finding rest for your soul that nobody else can adequately offer you except Jesus. You want to know what Jesus thinks about finding rest? Let me read this to you. Maybe some of you have never heard this before. This is what the good news is 101. This is gospel 101. Some of us in this room are so burnt out, but we don't know how to say it. Some of us in this room are so burnt out, but we don't know how to recognize it. You don't even know you're burnt out. Several years ago, it was my first time youth pastoring. I had youth pastored for about a year. And I was doing more than I should be. I was working a job, youth pastoring, doing other things at the church. Carmen was doing like multiple things at the church. We had just had Olivia. We're driving in the car. We're listening to, to music. We're like, yeah, this is great. This is great. And out of nowhere, boom, it hit me. I started crying hysterically. I, I started shaking. I was having like an anxiety attack and I had to pull the car over and I had no idea what was going on. And for the next like two weeks, I was having to work through these emotions because I was so overwhelmed with things. I didn't even know that was there. It just crept up on me. Don't get to the point where you're talking yourself out of rest, making yourself feel guilty for rest, that you're just blindsided by a collapse. This is what Jesus says to every single one of us. Take comfort in this today. This is what Jesus says. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says, are you tired? I want you to listen to this like he's talking to you because he is. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Some of y'all in here don't like coming to church because it's fake. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Sit there, smile. You do the weird crisscross auditorium thing. And you get in your car and you leave and we'll do it next week if we can muster the energy for it. It's fit. He says, are you burnt out on that? Are you tired of it? Are you worn out? Check this out. He doesn't say, get out of here, bro. Like, come back when you're ready to, to get this. Come back when you understand. He says, are you tired? Is that you? Are you worn out? Are you tired of playing games at church and doing it? Check this out. Come to me. Come to me. Don't run. Don't alienate yourself. Come to me. Then he says, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Get away with me. Put your phone down. Get away from the distractions. Cut all those things off. Get away with me for a minute and you'll recover your life. You'll find it again. It'll come back to you. Life will come rushing in once you get alone with me. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Remember, be a disciple. I exemplify this. Watch how it's done and you do it too. Find a rest because I found rest. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. There's that rhythm again. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Get in my presence. Make me your company you keep. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You ever had a sunburn and somebody put on that they, put, they got that aloe vera gel that they put in the fridge, and they take it out and they put it on, you're like, oh, ooh. That's what this should do to your soul. Some of you have such sunburnt, worn out, broke down souls. 
Because you don't Sabbath with God. You don't take time with God. You don't celebrate what he's doing. You don't celebrate what's happening in your daily life. You don't look for him moving in your, in your regular rhythm of life. God says, build me back into that. Take a break. Take a rest. Work and rest. You do got to work. This ain't an excuse to chill. You do got to work, but work and then rest. And when you rest, do it with me. Spend time. Get along with me. I'll give you back life. I'll give you back rest. I'll give you back peace of mind. Get away with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Some of us need a lighter load. That's only found in Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for you. Dear God. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.